Everybody doing? Why don't we just go ahead and give an honorary boo to those who are in Florida right now enjoying their spring break? Why don't you just boo them? Brothers and sisters, they deserve chastisement. Uh, we are glad that you guys are here. Uh, we are glad that you guys have taken time out of your busy breaks uh, to attend tonight, the family here at Jersey. Uh, raise your hand if you slept in past 10 o'clock this morning. Raise your hand if you slept in past 11 o'clock this morning. 12 o'clock. 1 o'clock. Okay. Go back up for 12 o'clock. You guys are bums. Get up in the morning, all right? Wake up in the morning. Boo them, too. They're sleeping too much. Hey, guys, um, we, are glad that you, we are glad that you're here. If you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and find them? We are going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, want to spend some time continuing on our track with Love Well. We also want to talk about this week and the significance that it holds and why Christians are remembering it all over uh, the world. Uh, so we want to continue on with that. May I just tell you guys, I, um, I love being your youth pastor. I love what we get to do. I love working with our team. If you ladies, if you're a lady in the room and you've not gotten to connect with our female volunteers or uh, Allie Kale, our girls minister, she's amazing. They're amazing. Uh, I love working with them. Our dudes, our, our, our adult uh, male volunteers are tremendous. Tyler is uh, probably the most talented, gifted dude I've ever met in my life. Turn around, he's right there. Not only does he look good in Ohio State Red, but he's a gifted youth minister. Give him a round. Um, but you know what? Uh, getting to getting to honestly shepherd you guys and, and walk with you and every week open up our Bibles and on Sunday celebrate together, uh, it is more of a privilege than you would ever know. Whenever I go around and do other youth events and I'm just a guest speaker, uh, I'm with other youth groups. I'm always privileged to do that, thankful that I get to do that. Uh, but anytime I'm with another youth group, I always think, man, I love our student ministry. No students in the world like our students. So just know that I love you. I'm excited about where we are going, what God has done in and through us, and what God will do into the future. I don't know why I'm sappy tonight, uh, but uh, I'm only a couple months away from being here two years which is pretty crazy to me, uh, and uh, we've, we've seen some cool things happen, and, and God has been abundantly gracious to us, so excited about uh, however, many more, however many more he would give us together, but um, love well. For those of you who don't know, um, this week uh, is what we would refer to as the Passion Week, uh, but it is in remembrance our Lord did for us 2,000 years ago. So as we always do, I want to do a little bit of recapping, but I also want to do it uh, in line with what we are recognizing uh, in the fact that this is Easter uh, week and we're leading up to Good Friday in a couple days, and a couple days after that we will celebrate, uh, we'll celebrate Resurrection Sunday. So I want to read a brief biography that the Bible provides us about you in Ephesians chapter 2 before we get into Ephesians chapter 4, uh, and prayerfully this will We'll just speak to you as we remember and as we celebrate and as we thank God that he was willing to do what he has done. So as we read this biography, I pray you would just open up your hearts, allow God to speak to you however he will. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and the sins in once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work within the sons of disobedience, among whom 
we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, I don't know how you came in here, and I don't know what you believe about all this that we're doing. If you are in here because you think it's a game, or because it's social hour, or because there are cool lights, or because Tyler's a funny guy, or because uh, our band is awesome, which they are, it, it, I, I don't know why you are here, and I don't know what you believe about this, but you need to understand what we just read and the significance of it. Everywhere you look in the world, including your own inward thoughts and perspectives, by nature are attempting to tell you that you are better than you are. And the Bible would clearly stand up and tell us the truth about us because from that platform, it can deal honestly with us. And in doing so, it leads us into salvation. So as the world tells you that you are better than you are, and as the world tells me that I'm better than I am, what I am often privy and prone to do is start to think of the brokenness and the struggles and the difficulties and the guilt and the shame that I experienced as other people's faults. It's everybody else's faults. If this hadn't happened to me, or if this hadn't occurred, or if I hadn't walked that way, or if, if, if someone wouldn't have treated me like that, or if this wouldn't be happening around the world, then surely I would be happy. And it's not to say that some of you don't have difficult stories, but you need to understand what the scriptures were so gracious in doing as we read Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. So I'm going to read them again, and every time you see that word you in your Bible, I would like you to even take a pen and just circle it and write your name above it because it's significant that you understand this is you before you come to Christ. This is biography before you know of his grace and his kindness and his willingness to suffer on our behalf. It is telling you the truth about you while everything else in the world, including the own resistance of your souls, try to mask that. So put your name in these places and you. Look at, uh, look at your neighbor and say you. Now point to yourself and say me. We're dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, say us, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Now if you if you go over to Colossians, we're not going to go to Colossians, but if you were to go over to Colossians and you were to read chapter 1, then you would see that, that the love and the graciousness and the kindness of God sustains you in this place right now. So it doesn't matter how you came in here. It doesn't matter what you believe about this. God has tenderly and lovingly decided to sustain you in this moment, allowing you to experience the breath that you are now experiencing. Experiencing. All the while, before we come to Christ, as he sustains us through the power of his might, we are walking in a direct contradiction to how he would have us walk, mainly that all of us are sinning, that all of us are co-conspirators against God and against his sovereignty, that all of us born into the world by nature are children of wrath. 
all of us, by nature, walk in the ways that we should not walk and do the things that we should not do. But it's worse than just the sins that you commit. It's much worse than just the actions that you have done. It goes deeper than just the failure that you have experienced. It's the very condition of your soul. So notice what the Bible says right here. It does not say you did a lot of bad things. It doesn't say that you, you committed some sins. It doesn't say that your track record is not the greatest. The Bible says that you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. That's a condition of your soul. It manifests itself through different action items. But at my nature... I'm a sinner when I'm born into the world, all the while God sustains me. So, so this, is, this is what this means. Nobody in here is better than anybody else. Nobody. Well, you don't know who's across the room right now. They've, they've been going to parties, and they've been doing all these things, and they talk to their parents these ways, and they do these different things, they say these different things. Okay, stop with judgment and understand that the Bible would speak to all of us at our core, telling us that we are sinners and that we are deserving recipients of God's wrath who is perfect and righteous and holy, yet merciful and gracious and kind. That all of us have broken souls within us that manifests itself over and over and over again in acts of wickedness. And all the while, the King of Glory sustains you to continue living and breathing and having your being on this planet. Let me say something. He does not have to do that. He doesn't have to do that. He does not have to allow you the days that you've received. You don't have him in your debt. You don't have his arm twisted behind his back. You cannot force him to do anything. In fact, your track record along with the condition of your soul would only, in our logic, encourage him to do the opposite of what we need him to do. Our sins are deserving of his wrath, yet he sustains us and provides for us a substitute that we would not have to receive what we actually deserve. So God, who is just, righteous, and holy, who has never committed sin, cannot commit sin. It is in contradiction to his nature. Sees a human race that he created, that has rebelled against him. He looks upon them in judgment, but he looks upon them in love. So much so that the loving father sends the willing son to put on flesh, to live the life that we could not live, meaning he lived it in perfection. No one else in here is perfect. He was perfect. And 2,000 some years ago, at 33 years old, he was accused and tried for crimes that he did not commit. He did not defend himself. 
He did not raise up justification for his actions. He stayed quiet to the point that Isaiah prophesying about the moment said that he stood silent as a sheep stands before its shears. Christ in the worst display of human justice yet in God's sovereign display of his kindness towards us offers his son to be our atonement. If you see a couple things in the cross, you need to see this. Number one, God is serious about his nature. God is serious about his righteousness. God is serious about his holiness. He is serious about judgment. So much so that the son who did nothing wrong was placed on a pole and under the weight of God's wrath, he was crushed so that as his blood spilled out, he would be the sacrifice that we needed to have what we could not earn. And he died. He died. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen a play or a movie or a picture or even have a mental image in your mind what the crucifixion looks like. But you need to understand that the pain that our Lord experienced in such immense proportions, it was not just that he physically bled. It's not just that he went to a cross. It has more to do with the fact that he endured the wrath of his father. For sin. It has far more to do with the fact that the weight of your broken soul was placed on him in one linear point in time for him to carry to its end, for him to kill it in his act of obedience. It has far more to do with what 2 Corinthians 5.21 would say, the one who knew no sin became sin for us. That we in him might become the righteousness of God. That's the incomprehensible, beyond our understanding point of the cross. That the blameless son of God endured the wrath of a holy God for us. Because he so loved us when we could offer him nothing he bled when we could do nothing to earn him he sacrificed himself so that you could go free so that you could sit in this place in freedom not just physically but spiritually that you could live your lives free to love him and to chase him brought out from under the curses of sin one day to die in this body but to live forever in him in glory this is what he's purchased for you so just as verses one through three is a direct biography of who you were before christ four through eight is a direct biography of what you are currently in christ because the mission of the cross was successful 
because the son declared that it was finished because he died and because in authority and victory he raised again four through eight is possible for us but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins that means you're dead you can offer him nothing even in a state where you could give him nothing that would appeal to him or nothing that he would need that's why Paul says that even while you were dead even when you could do nothing for him even when there is nothing in the world that you could possibly give him that he does not already have or that he could possibly need even when there was nothing that you could do but sin God in his great love made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved you have been raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages listen to this he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing if God what does this mean what does this mean in Christ he will treat you in immeasurable kindness for those of you who truly know Christ, and I fear, I fear that some of us are deceived, that we think we know because we're church kids, or we think we know because we try to be good people, but we don't actually have an experience with the Lord. I fear for that. But for those of you who know him, that means that when you put your faith in him, he took from you, not just your track record, but the brokenness of your soul. He took it and he put it on the cross and he gave to you, imputed to you, righteousness into your account. So that when the Father would look at you, he would see the righteousness of his Son. The righteousness that is required to be considered innocent before him that means that every time the father looks upon me in grace he sees Christ and he declares before all the universe not guilty free my son my daughter you are forever free in the power of the blood of my son free For past, present, and future, you are held in this moment and the next by my grace. That means, it means it does not matter how you came in here today. God does not regret going to the cross for you because when he dealt with you in Christ, he provided an efficient and a sacred and a worthy sacrifice that would not just own your track record from the point of salvation backwards, but would own your spiritual condition, your brokenness in the past, in the present, and in the future so that you are sealed under this gospel you are owned under this gospel your soul will forever know him through the sacrifice of his son it means God doesn't regret it, it means God changing his mind he's not asking for a redo 
He's not regretful for saving you because his son was victorious in what he did for you. You are held in grace by him forever. The cross is a big deal. And the resurrection is a stamp of approval and a sign of victory. It's a big deal. And that's where we find our passage tonight in verse 4. Starting in verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You see how weighty that is? Paul's actually in prison when he writes this. He's an old man. He has run his road, been stoned, and he's been imprisoned, and he's been shipwrecked, and he has bled for this. He's bled for this. In Paul's efforts, he spurred the good news on in such a way that we now depend spiritually on the works that God did through him for us to know more about him. For us even to have this letter. And now in this season of his life being a prisoner, he's not kidding. It's not just a metaphor. He's actually in jail when he writes this. And he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. What calling is that? Calling to grace that Christ secured for you in his death and resurrection. That's massive. That is huge. That is weight on the shoulders. The fact that Christ has gone for you, has done so much for you. And Paul says, in light of this, I urge you to walk in a way, in a way that would be worthy of the calling in which you have received. Now, oftentimes, we, including me, we don't look at it that way. We don't look at it from the perspective of, God, you have done so much for me, and now I want to know you and serve you and pursue you. I want to walk in obedience. I want to love you. I want to walk after you. I want to be stirred by you. I want to forever be spurred towards you. Oftentimes, we don't look at it that way. Oftentimes, we look at it from the perspective of, well, I'm a Christian, I made my commitment, I prayed that prayer, I've been to church, but my days, my decisions, my actions, those are mine, and I will do with them what they will, and you walk in a manner worthy of your own calling, your own mind, and your own hearts. Never one time thinking that Christ has done so much to hold you in this moment, instead We take it to mean that we got heaven, so we'll do what we want. Act how we want, live how we want, walk how we want. And in doing so, we are attempting to defame the name of Christ. And we cripple our testimonies. Because we proclaim news that changes the soul. Yeah, that we present a soul. It's as spiritually dark as what it was before we claimed this news. And Paul would almost take us by the shoulders tonight and shake us saying, I urge you to snap out of it. 
To the point that Romans says, if he was willing to give his own son, how much more will he give you everything that you need? If he's done so much for you, Paul would shake you. Walk in a manner that's worthy of this. Pursue this. Get off of your high horse and start to acknowledge the fact that everything that you have, including the lives that you now live, are because God has been gracious to you and allowed you to have them. Continue with me. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So we're going to break this down. Let's talk about humility. Human nature desires that you be the center of your own universe. So let's tease this out so you can, you can kind of get it. Everybody wants to be the hero, but everybody wants to be number one. And everybody wants to have everybody else think that they are awesome as you think you are. So when I'm in line at McDonald's, and, and this happened actually, this, tell me this isn't annoying. I'm, I'm in the line for McDonald's, which is some really healthy food. If you're ever like trying to get on a good healthy kick, go to McDonald's. The McDoubles I hear are just excellent for your health. I'm just kidding, don't. Probably like tires and nasty stuff in there. Um, I, I'm, I'm in the line I'm in the line for McDonald's, and I'm kind of in a rush. I got a meeting, and uh, I got to get something down. So I went to McDonald's, and I pulled to the second window, and the person I paid, and then the person in front of me who was at, I'm sorry, I pulled to the first window. They were at the second window. They started to pull off, and I was like, yes, getting my McDouble. Boom. Healthy meal of the day. And this person in front of me, I get almost right up to the window. And then I see the reverse lights come on in the car in front of me, and they started to back up. And I thought, they're going to squash me. Because at the time, they were driving a big truck, and I was still driving my Civic, which already looked like it had been to some kind of demolition derby. Truck starts to back up. I'm in a line with a bunch of people behind me, and I'm thinking to myself, if this thing goes sour, and I, uh, and I get backed into, then I'm going to be way late for the meeting. So I'm trying, to, I'm trying to back up while signaling to the people behind me so that they know that I'm trying to back up and I'm being forced to go backwards. So they, they start backing up and I'm backing up and everybody behind me is backing up. It tizzy that it probably took 10, 15 minutes out of, out of our time to, I get up to the, the window and I say, what did that guy want? He forgot his ketchup packets. Are you serious? I thought I was going to die underneath the wheels of that vehicle. And he wanted to get his ketchup. The nerve of that guy. You kidding me? Man, I'd like to give him a piece of my mind. Why did it make me mad? Mainly, it made me mad because I believed that what I had to do was more important than that guy getting ketchup for his french fries. And that if he would have recognized that I'm more important in that moment, then surely he would not have infringed himself upon me, diverting from me from the task that I had at hand. (laughs) 
who share a bathroom with somebody. They're so slow. I, can, I never get in there. I'm always late. Why does it make you mad? Because you believe that it's more important that you do what you have to do than it is that they do what they have to do. Every individual wants to some extent put the universe centered around them. And it leads to a lot of frustration and it leads to a lot of difficulty and it leads to a lot of anger. Look here though, you are to walk in a manner worthy to your calling in humility. Meaning that you relinquish the idea that the, inner, the universe revolves around you you put it in its proper perspective, which is mainly that the universe shines about with the glory of God, that he sustains it, that it is revolving around him alone, and it's for the glory of his name. And not only is that true, but because Christ has so loved me, and now he's called me to love the people around me, I'm going to be more focused on the people around me than I am myself. I'm going to love God with all my heart, and then out of the overflow of the love that he's given me, I'm I'm going to love the people around me. I'm going to consider them more important than myself. I'm going to serve them and love them and care for them as if I was doing it unto the Lord. Because in every moment in time, in every relationship that I walk in, I must profess of the good news of Jesus Christ and the love that he has shown me in his passion to pursue me even to the point of death. That's what humility is. That's where it's found. Humility is the idea of getting off of your high horse, starting to recognize that this is all for God, it is not for you, and that God is the one that is doing a work within us, and he has invited us to join him in this mission, and we would be way more productive if we would stop thinking that we are most important, and we would start recognizing that God receives the glory, and he's calling us to love the people around us as if they are more important than we are. Let me tell you something. You do that, and at first you're like, man, I'm going to have to give up so much, and that's going to be, you know, if I start making everybody else more important than me, and I'm never going to get the time and the accolade and the recognition that I deserve, you start to live in humility. You start to walk in a manner worthy of your calling in humility. It will free you up towards joy like you cannot believe. Gentleness. Now, how many of you like sarcasm? How many of you like sarcasm? How many of you are sarcastic? Okay. Some of you are lying. Because you're like, like this is you raising your hand. But the people who know you are like for you going, this one right here. They are sarcastic, right? We love sarcasm. Our culture loves it. Think it's funny. Almost all of our shows that are considered comedies are comedies because they're sarcastic. Some of you are incredibly sarcastic. So sarcastic that I almost would define you as cruel. But how many, how many people about you that you operate out of a spirit of gentleness? How many? What do you think? Would, would, would a lot? Would a few? Would any? Say that you operate out of a spirit of gentleness, of tender care towards other people, specifically your family, your youth group. Would they say that about you? I wonder what would happen 
if we would let go of some of our really harsh comments and some of our really harsh demeanors, what would happen if we would let those go and in humility we would genuinely show concern, care, and love towards other people? If we'd be gentle with individuals. You know how many people I've hurt that I never intended to hurt because I wasn't gentle with them? How many times, even when what I had to say was true, I said it in a really brute force kind of way and I hurt an individual because I wasn't concerned with gentleness? What would happen to our family at Jersey if we would start to look for opportunities to consider people as more important than ourselves and treat them with a genuine spirit of care and gentleness? I'll give you a couple outcomes. Number one, people would start to consider you someone that they can trust, someone that they can, they can talk to, someone that will actually care for them. So more people will begin to speak with you about where they are, and you will be given more opportunities to spur them towards Christ. Because in your responses, they find evidence that they could trust you. Some of you are not trusted because you're rude and because you're crude and because you're sarcastic to the point that no one can see through you. No one can find your heart admits that because you cover it up so well with a ferocious spirit. If you would show yourself as gentle in walking in such a way that is worthy of your calling, you would become more effective in our family at Jersey, you would become more effective at ministering to your brothers and sisters and in this world, it would be the same. With patience, let's talk to this one. How many of you are patient people? <laughs> Nobody. How many of you are not patient people? Now, some of you might say that you're not patient with yourself, and that's, that might be true, but most of the time our impatience is towards other people, Right? Let's speak specific to the context here at Jersey. Often hear this. Man, this kid's coming to Christ, but he's just not growing at the rate I would want him to grow. Still making decisions he shouldn't be making. Still struggling in this way or that. Still, still just kind of frustrating with his behavior. He's just not quite getting it. I mean, the kids come up to me and they're like, dude, you have no idea what's going on in my school or in this place or with this individual or whatever. What would happen, though, if patiently we cared for the individuals around us in such a way that through gentleness and humility, that as our brothers and sisters struggle like we struggle, we would be patient with them we would encourage them and spur them towards Christ and that even in the middle of their fall, we would be able to trust that God can work out all these things in their sanctification and their growth. What would happen there? I don't know. What would happen if we would start to reflect trusting hearts in our God's ability to spur people towards him and in our family we would operate out of a spirit of gentleness and patience that would every day, as many times as necessary, encourage our brothers and sisters towards him.
bearing with one another in love. So, so let's, be, let's be real. You are frustrating to yourself and to others. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm frustrating. Look at your other neighbor and say it like you actually mean it. Now, it gets better than this. I'm, I'm frustrating. I'm frustrating to you guys. You hang out here long enough. You spend enough time with us. You go on one event, I dare you, or play me in a game of basketball, and you're quickly going to see, and I'm a really frustrating individual. Do you know why? Do you know why? It's because I'm not perfect. It's because I'm struggling. It's because I fail. It's because I'm working towards Christ's likeness, but I'm not there yet. And that can be really frustrating. It can be really frustrating for me as the leader, as the student pastor here. It can be really frustrating because I so want you to get the gospel in your guts. So oftentimes it doesn't happen. And that can be really frustrating. But what are we called to do? To bear with each other in love. To walk this road together with love. To care. To speak truth. To love people towards Christ one day at a time. One day at a time. This is a distance run. It's not a sprint. And it will require, if we are to be effective as a ministry, it will require us saying, I'm going to take these steps with you. And I don't care how messy it gets. And I don't care how difficult it is. And I don't care how much it weighs. I'm not walking away because I believe in my God's ability to pursue and to transform you up to the day that he calls you home and glorifies you in perfection, I trust in my God's ability. Therefore, I am not going to vacate my seat in watching him work miracles, bearing together in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one Father of all, who is over all, in all, through all, and in all. As the band comes and plays, we're going to wrap down here. Say a couple things. If you have nothing in common, nothing in common with your brothers and sisters in the Lord, if you feel like no one in here gets you, if no one acts like you, no one looks like you, no one talks like you, no one thinks like you, if you've got nothing in common with people, but Christ is the Lord of your life and he has redeemed and resurrected your dead soul, then you have everything in common with that brother or sister. Because you have been called to this one body with one spirit, the Holy Spirit who lives within you, and you have one hope which belongs to your call, the one Lord with one faith that he's working this out. That's what faith is. It doesn't necessarily mean that we understand everything, but we trust that he is working. We trust that he is moving. We trust that he is good, that he's pursuing, that he's loving, that he's caring, that he is gently taking care of us. We have faith in this. One baptism. As the family, we get to celebrate baptisms which symbolically represent what God has done spiritually within us. Into this one baptism, our one God, 
Our one Father who is over all, through all, and in all. We have everything in common as the covenant community of faith. All of us who are in Christ, we are brothers and sisters adopted by the same Father, by the same gospel. We stand together. We stand together. And if we operated in a manner that would be worthy of our calling, if we would be willing to bear with this thing together in love, in gentleness, in patientness, in self-control, in mercy, in grace, if we would do that, I promise you, on the authority of God's word, I promise you, if we would do that, God would do immeasurably more than we could ever begin to imagine. Your middle schoolers, your high schoolers, you only have these years one time. You want to do something that matters? Pursue Christ with your family. All of you together, pursue Christ. Pursue Him in mission. Love the people around you and love the people outside of these walls. And God will use you. You will have lived a life that matters. Don't do this and your time is wasted. No unity, no testifying of God's love. Do this and you'll live a life that matters. Don't do it. Don't do it. And you're wasting your time. Don't do it. You're wasting your time. And you're disunifying the body while you do it. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Do what God has asked you to do. And when it gets difficult, with the eyes of your heart, perceive the outrageous love that God has given you. And may it spur you towards him every time. Um, this means that, uh, uh, you know, if we're going to be unified in the body and we're going to experience this grace and we're going to dwell in this love. It means that we get over. We got to get over whatever it is that would keep us from loving each other. And we got to take Christ at his words and we got to do this. So as we worship tonight, what we'll do is if there are brothers and sisters in the room uh, that you have grievances with, if there is something that has happened or something that has occurred that has grieved you against an individual, what I'd ask you to do is maybe just come here and lay it down. Together, lay it down. Say, you know what, God, we trust you with this. We covered in grace. We want to love each other. Help us move forward from here and show grace towards one another. And maybe it's that you need to pray. And maybe it's that you'll experience the love of the body as they come around you and pray for you. But let's this, let this place up here be a place where we beg God to help us walk in a manner that's worthy. Walk in a manner that's worthy. Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you so much. And we thank you uh, for this evening. We thank you that you are good, that you've pursued us. God, as we recognize the passion, as we recognize the love that you showed us, my heart is so grieved, yet so rejoicing that you would love me and pursue me even to the point that you would spill your blood, that you would endure my cup of wrath, 